0: media ministry of Cornerstone Church. You can listen to this and other messages on our website at www.cornerstone.org or by subscribing to our podcast. Well, as you're seated this morning, if you'd open your Bibles, we're going to start out in Mark chapter 2. We will uh, end up in Mark chapter 3. Like so we're going to cover a lot of uh, verses this morning. If somebody, if I went to ask somebody, maybe at your workplace, maybe in your family, maybe just in your neighborhood or something, and said, uh, you know, Taylor, is Taylor a religious person? You know, and, and, you know, Bruce, is you know, I just asked a family member, is Bruce a religious person? we'd probably get a lot of different answers to that because there'd be some that would see just spirituality altogether as equal to religion. They kind of use that word in, in kind of that way to kind of be a wide coverage to spirituality. There might be others that said, no, nah, you know, he's an authentic believer. You know, he, he's not just religious in activity. And some of those that are a little bit more familiar with our faith and walking in faith maybe make a little bit of a distinction between religion and our actual spiritual condition. And I think that most of us here this morning probably can make that declaration or that distinction in our own mind. That there's a part of us that uses maybe that word generically, religion, and we're going, you know, yeah. if you are talking about spirituality, yes, count me in. But if you're using that word as just activity, doing spiritual things, religious things, going to church on Sunday, saying some prayers or something like that, then yes, I I want to do those things, but not for the sake of trying to gain some type of righteousness of my own. You and I have a working, maybe, definition of what religion is, because maybe you've heard that phrase before. You know, I, I'm not really a religious person because Christianity isn't about religion. It's about a relationship. And so we've heard that. I, I didn't even have to complete it. And so we, we kind of make that differentiation. Would you agree with that? Well, this morning, I, I state that because I want us to really know, because we're going to talk a lot about religion today, and some religious activity like fasting. And I want you to know right from the beginning that Jesus was not saying, okay, don't fast. He wasn't saying, don't do this. He wasn't downplaying religious activity. What he was doing is exposing the reason that we do it. For example, this morning. Did you, you know, did you look at the clock and say, it's time to go to church? Or was it more of, oh, we get to go to, we get to go to church. You know, there's a difference of attitude. One is, okay, this is what we do Sunday mornings. It's this time. I'm going to church. Come on, guys, we have to go to church. The other one is, hey, guys, we get to go to church this morning. We get to be with the body of Christ. It all comes down to, you know, the same people sitting in the same seats, but maybe a difference of our heart and our attitude. And that's what Jesus really begins to focus on this morning. It's, in one way, a rare, uh, I feel like I've been preaching the same sermon for the last three weeks. In fact, I was going to bring a block of wood today with a nail in it, with a hammer, and, and just kind of keep on beating it. Because that's what Jesus seems to be doing the last three or four weeks. He, he's taken, The Gospel of Mark is revealing us to us that Christ is trying to break old modes. And he's trying to show us the importance of really living in relationship with him. And that religion and the law, he's not trying to do away with the law. He's come to fulfill the law. And so he keeps on hitting this. Why? Because there's this section of people, the religious leaders of the day, and they've made much of religious activity. I'm not saying that there's not a part of them that said, okay, hey, we're going to do these religious things because this honors God. I think there was a part of authenticity, but they struggled with the same thing that you and I struggle with. In our religious endeavors, prayer, Bible study, quiet time, Giving and tithing and offerings. All kinds of different things that we would do. Is there a tendency, even in our own lives, to think that when we've done those things, that God must be going, all right, I saw you today and you just really did well. I think that God is pleased with that in the sense that that, those are good things to do. But have I, have you, ever added to our righteousness because of our religious activities and and our duties? No. All of our righteousness is found in only one place, and that was the perfect life of Christ, his death, burial, and resurrection. God didn't say, okay, I'll do 99%, but, you know, come on, you do 1%, just so I can see if you're really into it. He never did that. You know why? (laughs) Because none of us would have ever made it. It had to be a complete work of Christ. All of your righteousness is founded in the finished work of Christ. That doesn't mean that you and I can't do and should do some things that are righteous activities. We are to be people that live right lives. But it's so easy to get that twisted around. That somehow think that our approval of God rests on us doing the right things when authentically... Biblically, all of our approval of God is founded only in Jesus Christ. So how do we wrestle with this? Well, let's examine what Jesus said to the religious leaders of that day and be able to kind of come back and and, and examine our own hearts and our own lives and, and try to get this as right as we can. Jesus has come. He's shown the religious leaders and the people that he has the authority to forgive sins. People were happy for that. Religious leaders, who are you? That's blasphemy. Then he went and he said, I've come to redeem sinners. The people said, this is great. We, according to the scripture last week, we need a doctor. We're sick. Religious leaders, we're not sick. <laughs> you know, well, we don't really need a doctor. They didn't have this, you know, uh, desire or thought that they had a need of a repentance. And so Jesus is coming and he's really rocking the boat. He's taking all of the established thoughts on religion and relationship of God, and he's completely not just rocking the boat, I would say that he's turning it upside down. He's completely doing a, you know, a, a, an upheaval of their system. He's bringing in a new era and a new day. What is this new era? Well, we found it back in Mark chapter 1, verse 15. Look real quick back at Mark chapter 1, verse 15. He's already said this, but uh, we can refer back to it this morning because this is the new era that he's bringing in. Jesus said the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Let's break that down. Four things about this new era. The first thing is that This era was predicted. He said the time is fulfilled. And for something to be fulfilled, it had to be predicted. So he said, look, this era, you know, Isaiah spoke of it. This one spoke of it. You know, this was the word of the Old Testament. So the first thing about this new era, it was prophesied. Second thing that we see about it, it was, it is found in Christ. The kingdom of God is at hand. This is all about the coming of the Messiah. Third thing, this new error requires a change in thinking. He uses the word repent. What does repent mean? It means to change your thinking. When you change your thinking, then you will change your direction. You were going this way, and yes, it means change of direction back this way, but it was because of a change of thinking, change of processing, a change of looking at things. And the fourth and final thing that we see there, this new error is based totally on the work of Christ, the gospel. His perfect life his willing death and his resurrection 3 days later. So in Mark chapter 1 verse 15 he says this is the new era. And some people were super excited about that. There're certain ones of us if I said hey change is coming there'd be super excitement. There'd be others going no no I don't like change. <laughs> I do not I love status quo. Don't rock my boat. We still have those personalities today. They were pretty much, you know, besides just personalities, they also had this, you know, desire of of seeing the Messiah come. And so here, you know, every day Christ is going out there. He's changing things. He's turning things that were established upside down. And in the process, he continues to butt heads with the Pharisees and the religious leaders, all the scribes and Pharisees, because they just don't like it. Now, why didn't they like it? Didn't they want the Messiah to come? Yes, but they wanted their Messiah to come. And they had established for themselves a pretty high walk in that culture. They were the elite. And so all of a sudden, Jesus comes out and says, no, this is much more about the heart and not this ability to walk in perfection. And all of a sudden, some of their shine began to go away. And so it wasn't an attack on them as much as it was just a really change for them. They didn't like that change. So we begin to look and we begin to find out that this confrontational you know, relationship that Jesus had with all the religious leaders, it starts to get really intense. Now we see that intensity fulfill itself in the Passion Week, that last week of his three years of ministry. But already, we're just months into it, guys. And already it is being established. In fact, let's cheat a little bit. How many of you ever read the last part of a book just because you want to find out how it ends? And then you go back and read. You kind of spoil the ending, but you know, you're just tempted to go, oh, you know, I really want to look ahead. Let's look ahead. Let's kind of spoil a little bit. Go to Mark chapter 3 and verse 6. Because I want you to see the heart of the Pharisees. And this verse really captures it in, in a totality of, of, of ways. Mark chapter 3, verse 6. Again, we didn't even have to go to Mark 14 or something like that. We didn't have to go to the Passion Week. We can see this already developing in this very confrontational relationship between Jesus and religious authorities. Mark 3, 6. The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him, how to destroy him. Now, the hymn here is Jesus. Now, who are the Herodians? What name does that sound like? Herod, okay? And Herod, though he is a Jew, he is working for who? The Romans. You know, he's the governor, and and the the Jewish people don't like him because he's been disloyal to the Jewish people, and he's much more Roman in his representation. So here we see the Pharisees, who are appalled at anything Roman whatsoever, have you ever heard the old uh, phrase, politics makes strange bedfellows? This is it. The religious, the Jewish religious leaders go out and they're following with this Roman kind of mindset, the Herodians, and uh, uh, that normally they would despise one another. Especially the Pharisees despise the Herodians. But here they're getting together for one purpose. And what is that purpose? We want to destroy him, the him being Jesus. Hey, we hate each other, but we have a common enemy. You don't like him because he's a threat to your government. We don't like him because he's a threat to our religious system. So even though we despise one another, we will link arms and we'll come into this common attack. Does that kind of set the stage this morning? Because knowing this, knowing the format, again, that's why we always want to take scripture in context. And that's why I'm doing more verses today than normal, because I want us to see the context of these verses. Mark chapter 2, verse 18. Let's get back to our text. Now, John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. And people came and said to them, Why did John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? Now, fasting is when you... Uh, purposely go without food for a certain period of time for a certain reason. You could do that for medical reasons. Uh, if you have some tests, if you're having surgery tomorrow, you have to fast after a certain time. But in this context, it was talking about spiritual fasting related to your spiritual walk. And uh, in the Bible, fasting is usually associated with the time of deep spiritual emotion or deep spiritual hurt. You're just you're hurt, and you're just fasting because you want your concentration, your mind, and your heart to be focused on God. However, when we look in the Bible, there's only really one command that was present in that day for fasting, and that was on the day of Pentecost. You can find that back in Leviticus sixteen twenty-four, and they were commanded to fast on that day because there was a spiritual reason for it. Besides that, there was not this command to fast, even though people might fast. Maybe in your life, why it's not a command anymore, we don't live under the law, we live under the freedom that has been bought by the, the finished work of Christ. We're not commanded today to fast, but I imagine that there's been some times that some of you have fasted before. And it wasn't because they said you're having surgery in the morning or you're having this test in the morning, but it was because of deep spiritual concern. And you want in your concentration, you want in your heart just to be focused on the Word of God, the sufficiency of God, and the truth of God. And and so you fasted. That's a very appropriate application of fasting. It's one that I really would encourage more and more, that that we'd actually be able to do that. So Jesus isn't against fasting. This is actually a a good discipline to to have in our lives. But it is not commanded, and, and this is the difference. The Pharisees decreed that godly people would fast twice a week, Mondays and Thursdays. It was kind of them to split it out, you know, so you 'd fast and then you could eat for a couple days and then fast, and then you'd have a couple more days before the next fast. But the spiritual people of that day, the Pharisees included, and John the Baptist, they and his disciples, they were observing this because it was kind of the common thing of that day that they would fast on Mondays and Thursdays. it became the standard so jesus isn 't saying that it 's wrong, but but he 's saying, okay, you know this isn 't I've come to fulfill the law and this does not earn you righteousness. What a temptation when we do godly things to somewhere in our mind think that we've attributed, added to the right standing that we have with God. What a fine line though. Because certainly God does want me to spend time in His Word. Certainly God does want me to pray. Certainly does, God does want me to be kind to, to strangers and do all these things. We are to do those things. But it doesn't earn us righteousness. All the approval that we have before a holy God is found in the work of Christ in Him alone. So what a fine line between... okay this is a good thing for me to do and yet this is not needed in order for me to have approval of God. Do you get a gray area in your mind in that area from time to time? Do you think there'd be a time, Ricky, that you could do some really good things and think, man, God must really be happy with me today. Yeah, we all have. But the fact is, when you trusted Christ and the sufficiency of his work, God was happy with you that day and he's been forever happy with you. In, in that sense of spiritual satisfaction. And yet that's hard to really play out. Because I guarantee you on the days that I do bad things, guess what? I don't think God's happy with me. Now He's not happy with my decisions and my activities. And, and even then, He's not happy for those decisions because of it brings brokenness and harm to my life. It is really, really hard for us to conceive, to get our arms around 2 Corinthians 5.21 and all the other verses that talk about how all of our sin was placed in Christ and all of his righteousness was imputed to us. It's, we can know that theologically. We can quote those verses. But it's a hard on a day-by-day basis. Would you agree? It's really hard sometimes to differentiate. Well, it was for them. The Pharisees hated the John, uh John the Baptist in his in his ministry. Uh if you went back over to Matthew chapter three, you would see that uh John called them a brood of vipers, not usually friendly terms. Uh he accused them of uh, uh he commanded them to bear fruit keeping with repentance because he basically was going, look, you, you're not repenting. Uh, he said that look you're not safe from hell just because you, you can trace your lineage back to Abraham. Those were fighting words. That's like talking about your mama. I mean, that was one of those things that when the Pharisees heard that, it gave them this adversary kind of relationship with John the Baptist. And yet here, again, for their purposes, they said, Look, John the Baptist and his disciples, they fast. They carry on with this Monday-Thursday thing that we've got going on. Why don't your disciples do that? First of all, let me give you the real reason. John's ministry is one that's in preparation of the Christ. He's preparing, and, and so it wasn't bad for them to fast on Monday and Thursday. It certainly, I don't think, would have been required. But the ministry of Christ is the fulfillment of this coming. John's purpose is to prepare them. And so that's one of the distinctions that we can make there. John's ministry was preparation. Jesus is the bridegroom, and it's the very illustration that Jesus uses. Mark chapter 2, verse 19 and 20. And Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guest fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in that day. The wedding traditions in those days were were really kind of cool. They didn't really have the honeymoon for the most part. Uh, the first week, most weddings had a celebration minimum of one week. One week of just... And during that time, believe it or not, even the Pharisees and even the Sadducees and all the religious leaders said, okay, we're removing the law from you for this week. Or normally we would say, don't do this and don't do this as far as you can only do this. So, okay, during this week... We don't want to hinder celebration in any way. The the purpose was celebration. And so you're not going to be hindered by the Sabbath commandments, for example. They're not trying to do away with those commandments, but they're saying, okay, we're not going to hinder you from those because we want you to have joy. So Jesus, in his marvelous mindset, turns it back. He said, look, when the bridegroom is here, what do you do? The answer of that culture would have been celebrate. He says, that's why well, you celebrate. And, and that's why my disciples, that, that's why they're not fasting. Because they know that this is a time of celebration. This is a time of joy, not of sadness. And then he uses two illustrations. I could preach a sermon on each one of these verses individually, and, uh, and it would be very much worth it. But because we want to tie all this together, we're going to move pretty quickly. But look at what he uses as an illustration. Jesus was a great illustrator. Mark two twenty one. 21. He said, No one sews a piece of untrunk, untrunk cloth to an old garment. If he does, the patch tears away from it, the new from the old, and a worse tear is made. Verse 22. No one puts new wine in old wineskins. If he does, the wine will burst the skins, and the wine is destroyed, and so are the skins. But the new wine is for fresh wineskins. What does he mean by that? There's a new era. Not just that there's a new sheriff in town. He said, no, there's a new era. And and later on in Hebrews, we're going to see this new covenant. And he explains that in order to have the new covenant, what did he have to do with the old covenant? Had to put it away. Because he fulfilled the old covenant. And and so when we look at the Bible in totality, we get an understanding of this. The Pharisees were going, no, no, I want the old way. Don't change the way that we do things. Again, Jesus wasn't against fasting. But this was a new day, a new time that come. And the time of intimacy with God provided through the work of Christ What was the focus of this ministry that would come through His life, death, and resurrection, not through religious activity? Is it possible to be very religious and not be right with God? I mean, there's a lot of people that have checked a lot of boxes. I don't know that we're going to get a sheet when we stand before God one day, but if there was a sheet and it had all these religious duties, there will, unfortunately, and I say this with sadness because Christ said this with sadness, not with gladness, and we'll see that reflected in the scripture in just a little bit. There will be a lot of people that will stand before holy God one day and they will have a hundred boxes checked. And he will say, depart from me. I never knew you. And that realization of that moment when they realized that there was not anything that they could do and their power to get approval from a holy God and that only Christ was the provision for that approval, what a cold reality. But the attitude that you and I should have about that is not, yeah, they're going to get what they deserve. No, we should get what we deserve too, but for the grace of God. That he opened our minds to our sin. He allowed us to repent and come to him and trust in Christ. We are a religious people, folks. We are a religious people. Thank God in his mercy and grace. He's illumined his word and ignited his word within us so that we could leave religion and rely on Christ. But don't think for a moment that you and I are not religious people. We are. But I hope that you're a religious person who has been changed by the mighty work of Christ. Jesus was trying to to establish, to take a religious system that was so focused on becoming, uh, you know, doing good works. See, the problem with that, in, in essence, is a religious mindset provides a man-centered religion. Christianity provides a Christ-centered religion. Again, in no way are we saying, okay, don't fast. No, I would encourage you to fast. But because of the work of Christ, we don't have to fast to gain approval of God. I'm, I'm not saying that you don't do this right activity, that right activity, or this right activity. The Bible wouldn't tell us that at all. Just don't rely on those right actions to get you approved for God because only Christ could do that. When we get that mindset, then all of a sudden, we don't go to church because it's Sunday and we got to go to church. We get to go to church and be with other believers, and there's a joy. Man, it's like the bridegroom. It's like we're going to a wedding. There's a joy. A total transformation of the heart brings a total transformation of the mind. Does that make sense? But if we don't have the transformation of the heart or the mind, then we're just kind of stuck in the old era. Jesus was trying to change from this man-centered to a very Christ-centered. And the next point illustrates that. Look at verse 23 and 24. One Sabbath, he was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. Did the law say you could do that? No. (laughs) No. That was against the law of the Old Testament law. You don't, you don't work on the Sabbath. And plucking, plucking, uh, grains to feed yourself was considered work. But Jesus does this because he's a rebel. No. Because like Frank Sinatra, he says, I do it my way. No. Look what he says. Verse 24, and the Pharisees were there saying to him, look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? By this point, the Pharisees have become stalkers to the ministry of of Christ. They have out their phones, and they are recording, "Whoa, whoa, 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 get this, this is going to go viral. We're going to show everybody this Christ, he's a rebel. He's against the norm. And they would love to film this, put it on the internet, to show that Christ is this radical rebel who's breaking the Sabbath laws. Now, Jesus, I mean, God did tell us, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. He gave us that one commandment. Remember last week we said that the Pharisees and the scribes had added 613 additional laws, this burden, this weight. 39 of those 613 laws were about the Sabbath. Do this, don't do that. Do this, don't do that. And don't do that either. Mostly negative, mostly do nots. And Jesus, in one swift move, breaks about four of them, of those 613. Again, because he's got on this leather jacket and he's a rebel. Or he said, no, a new era has come. And and you rely so much on your own righteousness. You rely upon this. I'm not saying that, that these commands are wrong. I'm just saying it's a burden because you've put the burden of man's rightness with holy God upon their performance. One of my favorite lines out of one of the Lauren Daigle songs is, is my life you know, simply, all the things I did right, all the things I did right, is it just the sum of all this? I mean, what if that was the case? What if your life was the sum of all your good and all your bad? Well, even if we knew Jesus early in our life, that's going to be a race. But what if you don't come to know Christ until you're 40 or 50 or 60? You better live a long time if you're working under that kind of thing. You better dedicate yourself totally. But this is the great news of the gospel, guys. A lot of y'all met Mr. Hank, came to know Jesus Christ at 82 years of age. And at 82 years of age... He had right standing with God because of the finished work of Christ. Not because he said, oh, now I've got to go do 82 years of good things in order to to, to stand and, and kind of cancel out this 82 years of kind of just doing my own thing. We can be so thankful of what Christ is establishing here. Now look at Jesus' response to their accusations. Okay, you're your Pharisees? Not only do they not fast, but we saw you. We have it on the phone. We have it taped. That they were picking grains and eating on the Sabbath. Mark chapter 2 verse 25 and 26. And he said to them, Have you never read what David did? When he was in need and was hungry, he and those who were with him, how he entered into the house of God, and in the time of Abiathar, the high priest, and ate the bread of presents, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat. And he also gave it to those that were with him. Now, this is so intelligent. This is so smart. One of the things that the Pharisees and scribes never wanted to talk bad against was King David. And Christ pulls out the King David card. He says, okay, well, you know, King David, what do you all say about this? Remember, there was a time that not only did he eat on the Sabbath, but he went into the place that only priests were supposed to go, and he ate the bread that was only for the priest. Why? Because he was hungry, and his men were hungry, and and they did that. So he he answers their question with a question, what was their response? Nothing. (laughs) He was a master at that. Oh, you asked me a question? Let me ask you a question. And they can't answer it. And then Jesus goes on, verse 27, 28. And he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even on the Sabbath, even of the Sabbath. He's not saying have disregard for the Sabbath. Jesus, more than anybody, would say, yes, make it holy. He would... He would follow the commands that we find in the Ten Commandments. But but what he's saying is, okay, your rightness with God is not measured by how right you do this. You failed at birth. Remember what we saw in the scripture last week? That from birth, we were sinners. From our mother's womb, we were sinners. He's not trying to rub our nose in it. He's just trying to tell us the reality. The word of God is always going to tell you the truth about God and the truth about man. And the truth about God and the truth about man, sometimes it's hard for us to take. But guys, don't go to the culture, don't go to your own insight, don't go to your own, well, I thank my God. No, if it's not the God of the Bible, not that you can't have that God, but it's not the right God. Go to the Word of God, and it's going to tell you the truth about God and the truth about man. And that's going to tell you the truth about your situation and the truth about the solution. Look what happens next. Mark chapter 3. Normally I would stop there, but I I want to put this in there because it's it goes. Realize Mark didn't write in chapters and verses. We added that later. Okay? And this story really continues because Jesus is the master at giving theory and then illustrating it with application. Don't you love teachers that did that? I mean the ones that I had that did okay, here's what the theory is, here's the truth, but here's how you actually do it. And I'm got For example, do you like instructions that have just words or do you have do you like instructions that have words and pictures? If you're plumbing, words and pictures, a lot of pictures. I mean, why do we go to YouTube videos? Okay, we can see it. Jesus is the master of that. If he was living today, there'd be a YouTube video on the theory that he just did because he wants to show us how to live this out. Mark chapter 3, verse 1 and 2. Again, he entered the synagogue and a man was there with the withered hand and they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. Here's the motive of their heart. Okay, we got the iPhones ready. We're just going to see if you're going to do it. Verse 3 and 4. And he said to the man with the withered hand, Come here. And he said to them, "It is, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? But once again, they are silent. We can't answer this. <laughs> We know the answer of this kind of, but we don't want to answer it because it's going to make Jesus' case for him. Verse 5, And he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart, and said to the man, Stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out, and his hand was restored. The Bible records several times that Jesus had a righteous indignation, a righteous anger. This is the only time that he actually uses this word, anger, to describe how Jesus felt. He has anger, but at the same time, what does he have? The anger is at the hardness of their heart. And how does he feel about the hardness of their heart? Crieved. Please get this. Please get this. Please don't miss this. This is not a judgmental Jesus in in the case of... and he's just off with you. This is a compassionate Jesus. And their hardness of heart grieves him. He's angry at their sin because they're not seeing the light. And then they're placing this burden upon the other people and the other people are being burned by it. This is what his anger is about. But he's grieved. He's grieved at their hardness of heart. What a loving Jesus. The very ones. So that they might find how to accuse him. And he's angry at their sin, but he's grieved at their hurt. Oh, that we would be those people. Oh, that we would be those people that would be angry at sin and yet grieve in our heart at the hardness of man's heart and even our own heart. This is our calling. That's really the message for us this morning. We come here today, we sing songs, we we listen to sermon. Maybe we give an offering and tithe and and we could do all those things and totally miss Jesus. And the greatest catastrophe of the whole world is to miss Jesus. Somehow to, to, to get involved in spiritual duty, to get involved of doing a lot of good things that even God would say, this is the right thing to do, this is a good thing to do, and totally miss Jesus. But Pastor Bobby, is, is that even possible? It's very possible. It's very possible, even to people who have knowledge of the good news of the gospel. Every day, guys, there, there's a part of us, there's a part of our humanity that says, God, did you see that? <laughs> I bet you're happy. He looks at you, Eric, because you're a guy who does a lot of good in our community. And he says, Erica, hey, I want you to know this, man. I'm, I'm glad for that. Thank you for making being a light in darkness. But you made me happy in that spiritual sense the day that you trusted Christ as your Savior. Is that not cool? Doesn't that free you up still to do those things, but now to do them out of pure appreciation? Isn't that cool that somehow God's approval of us is not resting on how many checks are in the box? Those checks are not necessarily wrong. I mean, you know, those those things are not wrong. But do we do them out of duty or out of devotion? Let me end with this and then we'll pray. 36 years ago, we stood before our pastor and said uh, till death do us part and uh, we'll love each other in these times and those times and um, we've had some of each and there's been times that you've been faithful to me and I've been faithful to you out of duty it's the right thing to do but what a beautiful marriage when we have devotion me. I just love you and I don't do it just because it's the right thing I do it because I love you this is what Christ has called us into, guys. Not just to do the right thing. That is a good thing. But to do it because we get, we love you, God. We get to do it out of devotion. I get to go to church today. I know, Sunday, I got to go to church. I get to go to church. I get to worship. How is this not the coolest thing ever? So don't let religious duty stand in the place of the joy that god wants you to have and and devotion to him it may be the same act but it's a totally different heart that brings a totally different mind let's pray father god as we said last week i'm a pharisee there's a part of me father that has this pharisaical heart that somehow, Father, I I get into this trap of thinking that your approval of me, Father, is based on on me doing these good things. And and while you're never counseling out a call into holiness and a call into right living, Father, you've never made that the basis of our salvation. Father, help us to understand that, that when we... Base rightness with you on activity. Not only have we set ourselves up for failure, but Father, we have just played into Satan's very hand to bring guilt and shame on those days that we aren't walking with you. Those days when we lost our temper. Those days when, when we had this illicit thought or feeling. Father, thank you. And that day that Christ took away all of my sins, he poured into me all of his righteousness. And in that spiritual sense, Father, it has pleased you ever since. There's never been a day since I was 12 years old that I have not been pleasing to you because of the finished work of Christ. I don't understand that. I I can barely grasp that. But I thank you. (laughs) Father, I love you. Thank you for that. Help us to grasp that somehow in our capacity today. We love you, Father. We thank you for Jesus. And we pray this in the power of his name. Amen. Thank you for listening today. We hope this message was a blessing to you. To learn more about our church or our media ministry, you can visit us online at www.corner-stone.org or find us on Facebook.